I love the C.S. Lewis quote, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. That's a little bit probably the way most people would look at Ryan Boyette. I'm going to talk to Ryan on this podcast about his life in missions work in the Sudan. I met Ryan through my brother-in-law, who is my wife's brother, who worked with Ryan for a period of time through Samaritan's Purse. And I knew when I met Ryan over Christmas break that he had to come on the podcast because his story is one of courage. When you are faced with a decision, a possible life or death decision to either follow Christ or risk looking hypocritical if you don't and evacuate from a very dangerous situation, you are by definition exhibiting courage by choosing the one that puts your life at risk, your family's life at risk, your future at risk. And that's exactly what Ryan did. So that's what this episode is about. You get to meet Ryan Boyette with twomovemountains.org. We share about his story. He shares about what he's doing now and why we even met him here in Nashville and what kind of a future and legacy he's about to build. I'm Eric Nordoff with another Courageous Conversation. This is Courage Cast, faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Ryan Boyette, welcome to the Courage Cast. Thank you. Yes. Uh, you are all bundled up uh, because it's cold down here in the basement, apparently. Yes, I, I'm always cold. I, I'm always cold here. Really? Yes. Why Especially is that? during this time of year. In Nashville in January. Yeah. Um, it's like 45 degrees outside. Well, I'm originally from Florida. Mm-hmm. And living in Sudan for 15 years will make you cold anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Why do people, like, is it, do you literally, like, is it just your body adapts to the warmth and the humid? Is it humid there in in Sudan? No, it's not. Well, during the rainy season, it does get humid. Yeah. It gets really humid. Um, but the, there is the dry season, which is extremely dry. Both are hot. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I would say my body definitely gets used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, being here in the U.S. and having like, you know, it's like 60 degrees. I like got a jacket on. Right, right. Yeah. And your wife who grew up and is Sudanese. Yeah, I mean, completely. the house, the air is always like really hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah coming into our house, it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Do you guys open the windows a lot? Do you like to have fresh air? In the summer. Yeah? Yeah, since we've moved here, it was warm when we first got here. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we would open the windows and... Let the hot air in. Yeah. Let the hot air in yeah. and, and not use as much air conditioning. No, we were fine with it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, a little bit bit of background. We just kind of jumped into a side mm-hmm. conversation. Ryan, uh, and, and I'm just talking to the audience here. Ryan and I met uh, in over Christmas break uh, for us just about a month ago mm-hmm. we met. And uh, he, you are a friend of my brother-in-law, Chrissy's mm-hmm. brother. Buddy, you guys worked together uh, in Sudan mm-hmm. through yep. Samaritan's Purse 
for several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how we got connected. You can't, you live here now temporarily, I guess. Yep. And we'll, we'll dive into that. Mm-hmm. But your story is one of the more courageous stories that I've, you and your wife especially have a pretty, pretty amazing uh, story. So I, I just kind of wanted to dive into some of that. You, you volunteered, let's just quickly, mm-hmm. after college in your mid young 20s, early 20s maybe, yep. you volunteered to, or, or asked if you could join, go to Sudan. And you, you basically didn't know much about Samaritan's Purse, but you were, were moved by what was happening in Sudan. Give people a summary of what's what's been happening in that country. Okay. So yeah, when I heard about Sudan... I had read an article that was two paragraphs long, uh-huh. and it was about this 30-year civil war. Uh, sorry, at the time, it was about a 20-year civil war. And so as I was reading through it, I became frustrated. As an American college graduate, I didn't know what was going on in Sudan. Mm-hmm. So I started doing a lot of research. And what I read was about this 20-year civil war that saw the lives of 2 million people lost through uh, direct burning of villages and destroying uh, communities, bombing, um, famine, uh, just over years and years, people losing their lives as a result of that. And and even more people losing um, their homes and just having to live in the middle of the woods or in caves. And I became intrigued by why and how this was happening and and why no one was doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's when I learned about Samaritan's Purse. The gist of the war... Is it a religious war, a different viewpoint? Is there, um, was the government corrupt? I mean, what, if you could summarize it in a, a couple of sentences, what, what was the, so the it, reason they were at war? It is hard to summarize because there's, it's a lot of different reasons. It basically boils down to the government in power wanting to hold that power. And so they would find any means to divide people. A lot of times that was on the basis of religion uh, because the North was predominantly Muslim and the South is predominantly Christian. Um, but it wasn't only that. It was also a racial thing and a tribal issues and economic issues. And so all that coming into play, the government would use that to divide the people against themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when the people have power, it's it's a scary thing for for the government who wanted to retain that power. Yeah, basically. and and more recently that proved itself to be correct. Yeah, yeah. So you were intrigued by this. You wanted to go help um, the situation or get involved. Mm-hmm. Are you crazy? Like, why would you? Why would you do that? What was your <laughs> um, your motivation? Or well, thinking? I was actually I had I graduated college and I had a job lined up. I was going to join U.S. Customs and follow my dad's foot footsteps of uh, you know working for a federal agency in terms of justice. I love justice. Love justice. Okay. Um, But then when I read all of this, I really felt God was pulling on my heart. And I thought, okay, I'm wondering why people aren't doing anything about this, but I really started to feel, why am I not doing anything? Mm -hmm. Um, And not that I thought I could do that much, but I thought, I need to go and work with the church there, help people. Um, I was very naive and young at the time, but I knew that I had to go. Mm-hmm. Would you go back, if knowing what you know now, would you have gone? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I think I was very motivated by my faith. Um, I, I really grasped how Christ's love for us, a lot of times, or, or almost all the time, was shown through sacrifice 
through his sacrifice for us. Mm-hmm. And so I think as believers in him, the only way to also share that love with others is through sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt part of, partly because it was my duty, but also just because it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you had such a strong uh, draw towards Sudan when you started reading about it. You just knew it was the Holy Spirit or God leading you. Yeah, there was a moment, you know, I had this dream in my mind of what my life would be. And I and I always thought, you know, get I always wanted to be a young dad, get married young, have kids and like be that cool dad that was, you know, ha- have a good job and the American dream. Yeah. And then I remember reading about Sudan and it was becoming clear to me that God was saying, yeah, you need to give up all that and you need to go to Sudan. And it was actually, it, it was very hard for me. There was a moment where I had a very hard time. I was in tears because God was basically revealing to me the things that you hold most dear to you that aren't of me, I'm going to rip those things away from mm. you. And then that created a struggle in my mind and in my heart that why would God need to rip something away from me after what he has done for me. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to give that that away. Mm-hmm. And so for a while there was a little there was a struggle, but I eventually handed it all to God and I just said I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um so I knew I was going to Sudan. I just had no idea how I was going to get there. Right. I mean, I was telling friends and family, um oh, in case you don't know, I'm uh I'm going to Sudan. <laughs> and they're like, "What? How?" I said, "I, I don't know that yet, yeah. but I'm going." Yeah. So yeah, it was it was very once I got over that hurdle, I knew 100% that's where I was going. So you get to Sudan, you get this job working uh, with Samaritan's Purse. Mm-hmm. And you know, how long did you work for Samaritan's Purse? So I worked with Samaritan's Purse for 8 years. 8 years. So yep. 2000 this was 2003. Yes. When uh, you started. Is, was it 8 years or 7 years? I'm trying to think right now. So I got there April 2003, and I left Samaritan's Purse in 2011. Okay. Yep. So a lot happens during that time. Yeah. Tell us just, you know, briefly, you go into the war zone. Uh, Were you in South Sudan or Uh, North Sudan? So at the time when when I went to Sudan in 2003, it was uh, one country. So the the country hadn't split yet. Got it. They were just entering into a ceasefire. So war, I entered during a window of peace. Um, right after the conflict of 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when I entered, uh, people were talking about the country possibly spit it, splitting in a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you saw, while you were there, the country split. Yeah, I was watching History Be Made, the, the newest country in the world mm-hmm. was being and, created. And it was being split along the, the Nuba Mountains, basically, right? Yes. So when I went to Sudan, I was in a place called Nuba Mountains, mm-hmm. which they aligned themselves with the South, who was fighting the government in the North. Mm-hmm. But when the uh, country was to split, the Nuba people and their land was to be put in the North of the country. And so they kind of got sold out in the peace agreement mm-hmm. uh, for the national, at the national level. Um, there and why, was, why was there a split? Why did the North say, we want... Was there resources there? Is it yes. a rich, uh, rich in resources? Is that yeah, basically it? exactly? So while while predominantly in the south, the, the people are mainly Christian, but in Nuba, it's seventy percent Muslim, thirty percent Christian. So in some sense, they had that 
um, you know, cultural, religious element, but more so there were resources in, in, in the state that Nuba was located in. Mm-hmm. There, was, uh, there was a lot of gold, there was a lot of uh, oil, um, other minerals. Um, also, it was an agricultural area that would provide food to other parts of uh, the northern part of the country. Um, so, yeah, they really wanted to hold on to that, mm-hmm. to that land. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so, we're looking at this. That's one thing that you saw was the country splitting, mm-hmm. which probably caused even the unrest to happen again. Uh, what else happened during your tenure? And were you the, the head of the country uh, for Samaritan's Purse? Uh, or what was your title there over the time that you were there? So I, I, you know, I started at the bottom, you know, I was working on projects um, that we were implementing in the area, which, you know, we had agricultural projects and water projects and uh, church rebuilding projects, things like that. Um, so I was involved very much in the day-to-day of working on those projects. But eventually, I became the regional coordinator, which I oversaw all the projects that Samaritan's Purse was doing in that region of Sudan. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And so, while we were doing all this work, you know, the country was changing. Several things were supposed to happen for the people of Nuba, even though the country was splitting. Um, the people of Nuba had the ability to vote for their governor, and uh, they had something called a popular consultation where they'd get the voice of the people. But all of this was an appeasement um, act to hopefully lead to peace, um, when South Sudan would split eventually in July, 2011. Okay. Got it. And, uh, you, did you meet your eventual wife at that time too, right? Yeah. So while I was working for Samaritan's Purse, I met Jazeera. Mm -hmm. Um, my parents came over and they were looking for, or I had set them up to do a marriage type seminar in the in the local church. Okay, my and mom, why did you do that? Uh, I I <laughs> I set that up because I thought it would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pretty funny guy. We because, had some laughs in the last month. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. So I I always thought it'd be funny because my mom and dad have no clue about the cultural context. <laughs> And so I thought, but they do teach about marriage. Yeah, and they have a great marriage. Oh, Mm -hmm. they have a great marriage. And so I thought it would be really funny to have my mom take all the women and my dad take all the men and try to answer their questions. (laughs) But it also created a way in which people could openly talk about it, Uh which is very uncommon. Like Mm -hmm. even just the people coming together to talk about issues of marriage, a biblical marriage, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to see what is a biblical marriage from our U.S. context and what's a biblical marriage. Like what's cultural and what's actually right, biblical, right? Right, yeah. But anyways, so I was looking for a translator for my mom. And so I put the word out to some of the, at the time I was still with Samaritan's Purse, and I put the word out to a couple of our staff. And they said, oh yeah, we, we know we know a lady who um, knows the local language very well and she knows English very well. I said, okay, l- let her come and I'll interview her and maybe she can uh, be my mom's translator. Mm-hmm. So then Jazeera came and uh, someone said, oh, Ryan, someone's here to see you. I go to see her and I say, yes, h- how can I help you? And we had this weird interaction because since I had been there so long, I could almost identify people by their tribe, by their facial features. Really? Really? And I'm usually right. In Mm -hmm. this case, I was not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought she was from a different tribe, so I didn't think she could be the translator for my mom Mm -hmm. for this particular group of people. And so when I talked to her, we had this weird interaction, but in the end, she said, I thought you needed a translator for your mother who's coming. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. (laughs) And so I said, 
Yes, so, I do. So she didn't come out right away and say that. So it was confusing. Yeah, culturally, you ne- you know, you always do this sort of greeting oh. that takes quite a while. How when you say quite a while? What do you mean, like an hour? No, 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 not that long. It takes a few minutes. Okay, but it's also. I'm trying to understand why she's there. And, and okay, so there's just this sort of awkwardness of yeah. she's approaching you, yep. greeting you with what gifts? No, she's just you know you have this long greeting like how are you? I'm fine. God be with you. Oh God with you. Uh, everything is great. And it, it, this goes on for a long time, and that's normal. <laughs> really, with, with like a lot of. And then if you've known someone for a long time, it'll go lo- much longer. Really, yeah. And then so. I, I don't think she had got all the information from whoever asked her to come talk got to it. me. Yep. And so she wasn't really understanding fully why she was there. Right. But in the end, yes, I need a translator. Uh-huh. And she said, I can be the translator. And I was like, oh, well, maybe you could be my translator too. <laughs> so were you, were you immediately uh, s- struck by her? Yeah. I mean, the fact that, I mean, she's beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, she... Her English was really good. At the time when I was there, not many people knew English. Mm-hmm. Like some people knew Arabic and their local languages. So I, I was very intrigued immediately. I was like, wait, how did she get, why is her English so clear? And like, mm-hmm. um, she was very well spoken. Yeah. Um, so then I, you know, I did some research and I started seeing, you know, who she was. <laughs> and I actually learned that I knew her father. How do you do research in the Nuba Mountains? Oh, it's all word of mouth. It's just word of mouth. Hey, Tell me about this it's ba- Let's be honest. It's it's basically gossip. <laughs> yeah, let's just be honest. Um, all right, good. So I learned that I knew her father, who actually was an elder in the local church. Uh-huh. So we had done some work with them before. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so you kind of found out some stuff and qu- qualified her for <laughs> yeah. the role of translator for your mom for this marriage conference. How much irony I know. can you get, I right? Know. I was I was very lucky. So the, how did the marriage conference go? Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was, was as great. funny as you thought it would be? It was, it was so funny. My mom got questions where she's just like, I, I just don't even know what to say. Yeah. But it was... An opportunity for these for these ladies to be by themselves and no men around, no children. We got all the children and men out of the room. Is that rare? Very rare. Yeah. And so they just got to talk openly and freely, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. They loved it. They mm-hmm. absolutely loved it, mm-hmm. and they learned a lot from each other. My mom learned a lot. Um, Jazeera learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, so it was it was it was a good time. Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, so after that, I mean, uh, there's a there's a we could go off on a tangent mm-hmm. on your courtship and how you approached Yeah, that was a process. Her. Yeah, it was a long process. I think I remember this was when we were sitting over over um, the after mm-hmm. uh, during Christmas break sitting around the kitchen. We were all sitting around the kitchen basically interrogating you and Jazeera <laughs> about for, the process about the our, whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it was so funny like something about well, <laughs> yeah, we had a to, cow with one testicle, and I still remember <laughs> that for some reason that yeah. stuck out to me as a as a marker. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's going to be with me for a while. Yeah. Well, I had to pay a dowry. I had to. My father had to come negotiate a dowry with the family. Yeah. Long. I mean, there were several, multiple meetings with family members. Some family members didn't like it. You know, coming chest to chest with cousins and not backing down, and then finally I earned my right to now pay the dowry, and then I bring this one cow, and I didn't realize that it 
only you had know, one I, testicle. I was presenting which is, it. Which is not like your best cow. Yeah, like, I was you, like... You're supposed I, to give your best. Yeah, to the, yeah, and I'm like proud of this thing. And I'm like, here's my cows <laughs> that I brought for the family. And they kept talking. And well, I could it's a bull, not even. It's a, Is there a difference, cow? Yeah, I don't yeah know. a cow anyway. and a bull, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was a bull. Yes, and so I... <laughs> could hear them talking because by that time I knew the language they're like why would he bring us a cow with one testicle <laughs> and I'm like oh no oh. and I looked and, and sure enough it was yeah yeah so did you give him a different one yes okay yeah so I had I'm to. returning this yeah, cow I, I apologize I, they would take it as an insult it was horrible <laughs> it was horrible anyway we had a good laugh about that so uh, yeah, and Jazeera is a very strong woman. I would love to capture her story sometime. I mean, yeah, she has an incredible life and what she's lived through and what she's accomplished and been resilient through mm-hmm. it all. Yeah. Real quick though, how did she get so good at English? How did she learn and did she practice? And I mean, where? I mean, they had a little school. I mean, Jazeera learned English. They didn't even have pen and paper because it's in the middle of conflict. So she grew up her entire life in war and she would learn her ABCs by writing uh, letters on the ground in the dirt with her finger Hmm. because they didn't have pen and paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how she learned English. And she just, um, she just has a great mind and she, and she was able to grasp the, the, concepts and she learned science and math that way and she was well beyond a lot of the students um, Mm. that she also studied with it's amazing so 2011 the country splits you just you made a big decision kind of take us through Mm -hmm. uh what what you were presented with and what you chose to do so actually right before the country split um, we could see signs that war was going to start again. Um, the government of Sudan kind of believed, you know, we were fighting against the whole South. Now it's just Nuba. We can just kind of run them over. And that was becoming obvious. Uh, we would see s- government soldiers riding through on technicals with 50 caliber machine guns on the back and tons of soldiers. And we saw them in areas that we never had seen them before. So things were getting tense um, in the area where we in Inuba, the rebels were getting angry and frustrated. Why are they doing this? Um, but things were still relatively peaceful as far as no fighting happening. So on June 6, um, 2011, um, it, it's actually weird because everyone says it was um, on the sixth, the sixth day of the sixth month at the sixth hour. Hmm that war started. 666. Yep. That's that's what everyone says in Nuba. Wow. And a lot of people don't even know that reference at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and immediately we could hear the fighting. Mm-hmm. So we live on the top of a plateau and there's there's two uh, So towns. you're married now with kids? Yes, sorry. Yes. So we are married now, not with kids at that point. Not, no kids yet. Yep. So mm-hmm. we were married in February 2011. The war started in June 2011. So wow. just a few months. Yeah. Um, so our entire marriage has almost been in literal conflict. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we started seeing this happening around us and we could hear the gunfire opening up in the town just north of us. And then people from that town started running to the top of the mountain where we lived on the plateau at another village uh, for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, there was even cell phone network for a little while and we would call people down in the in the town and you could hear the gunfire and the bombs wow. around them. Mm-hmm. And it was very scary. Uh, then Samaritan's Purse immediately wanted to evacuate all their staff, mm-hmm. understandably. Mm-hmm. And so 
they got on the phone with me and said, Ryan, you need to, you need to leave. Um, this, this, uh, this is unsafe. So you and your family were sending a plane to this remote airstrip. You need to get on it and you need to leave. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I, um, really prayed about it a lot. How long did you have to pray and decide? Well, we prayed about it a lot in a, in that night. That night. Yeah. Right. Because we had to make a decision quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but both of us did not feel comfortable leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, I personally felt I'm a person who has presented, who has come out of my belief in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I have worked in many communities in Nuba and telling them about why we are there. Mm -hmm. And out of that love that Christ had for us, and that's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And having no fear but him. And then getting on a plane and leaving, I felt like a hypocrite. Yeah, And my wife agreed. What would that say to the people? Yeah. What, what How would that represent Christ? Would that represent him? Yeah. And so it was really up to us on to, to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And so I called Samaritan's Purse on the satellite phone, um, and I told them, uh, we have to resign, mm -hmm. and we're going to stay in Nuba. Um, I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do, but I just knew it wasn't the right thing for us to leave. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to stand with the people of Nuba, and we're going to try to be here with them throughout mm -hmm. the, throughout this, no matter what it means. Now, do you think that if you hadn't have married into the Nuba, mm -hmm. like... If I would have left? Your, yeah, if you still would have left? I mean, it's, it's hypothetical, no, but I'm I, just I, curious. I can say I still wouldn't have left. You wouldn't have? No. I, I, I had thought this had gone through my mind quite a bit, while the time I was there, even before I met Jazeera, mm -hmm. that if conflict happened, and I'd heard the stories. I mean, part of my work was researching how the conflict affected the church. Um, and so I heard the stories of pastors getting drugged behind cars, and and it was those people who, through suffering, they still announce Christ as their king. Mm -hmm. And... Through that, that is the reason that I would stay. It's mm -hmm. because of their witness. Mm -hmm. um, I I did not feel like I was coming there in a way, or I was staying uh, as if I was coming to save the people of Nuba. I was staying there because they saved me. Mm -hmm. They they opened my eyes to what it means to be willing to to give everything up for Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's what uh, really resonated with both me and Jazeera. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we. Uh, we decided to stay. Mm -hmm. That's that alone, right there, um, is a is a you know definition of a courageous decision. You know, because you were potentially putting your whole life in your hands, in in God's hands, really. Yeah, I mean, and you were ready to sacrifice anything. I mean, it doesn't feel courageous, to be honest. I I mean, if you're following Christ. I actually don't think that that's courageous mm. because if you really believe he is who he says he is, then it's not really that courageous to follow him because he created you. He created this world. And the fact that if he's saying, I want you to stay, then you know he's got your back mm -hmm. um, no matter what that means. Like that still might mean death for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's putting away that fear and putting him first. Mm -hmm. And so I guess some people could call that courageous. Um, I did not feel courageous at the moment. And let me tell you a story. Yeah, tell me about About <laughs> why I didn't feel courageous the next day. <laughs> Most people who do courageous things, I think, don't feel courageous. 
I yeah, maybe that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but tell me your story. Tell me about that. So the next day, uh, there was a. So the Sudan government had many airplanes that they would use to bomb the people of Nuba. And so the first day of the fighting, we could hear the gunshots and the uh, the technicals and even some tanks. Like we could hear some artillery. Um, but the next day, now the airplanes started coming out. And so they would they used two kinds of planes. There's a, a Sikhoi. June 7th now. Yes. And so the, they use a Sikhoi fighter jet or they use a Antonov, which is like a Russian... Um, uh, like cargo plane mm-hmm. that they'll just put bombs on a conveyor belt and just like let them fly out. Hmm. Um, so I was sitting at my house. Jazeera went to get something from the neighbor. We didn't hear any more like shooting and fighting. That was all the first day and the government got pushed back. Um, so Jazeera went to the neighbor's house to get something. I can't remember what, it, what she was doing. And sure enough, this uh, I heard... Um, a rain cloud. It was the beginning of rainy season. So in the north, this rain cloud was coming in and I heard some thunder crash, uh, some lightning crash and, you know, boom. And then, but then I, you know, everything was fine. And then again, the second time it was boom. And it like, it like almost came into the same sound of the Sequoia fighter jet. Mm. And he was coming right at us. And wow. when you hear the jets, you don't have time to really do anything. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to run to a hole or look for a low spot in the ground. You just got to lay down. Mm. And this is my first experience with bombing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like laying down. I am freaking out. This 500-pound bomb was dropped about you know a mile from us. I could feel the earth shake. So loud. Scared me half to death. I drive over. I get to zero. We're like looking for safety and Jazeera has experienced this many times so she wasn't as nervous as me um, which later I, I learned a lot from her through that um, but when that happened so that night the plane left it got dark we went back to our house we, we were sleeping I wasn't sleeping much mm-hmm. I was laying up and I'm just thinking what did I do mm-hmm. I am I'm scared out of my mind I'm thinking what the heck did I do here mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden <clears throat> the the thunder crashed again, like right over our house. And it scared me. I ran, I jumped up, I got out thinking it was another bomb and the rain was falling down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was almost at that moment, I actually felt comfort. So From the rain and it was, the protection of the... Well, it was just like God was... T- that thunder scared me. Yeah. And it was almost like God... I felt like it was like God telling me like, why oh. are you worrying? Yeah. I told you to stay here mm-hmm. and I'm more powerful than any bomb. Yeah. And so that calmed me. And I would think about that at every, every bombing situation that I was in after that. Um, but yeah, that really kind of, there, there were definite times where I felt very scared mm-hmm. and, and God would give me just enough to be like, don't worry, man, I got you. Mm. Yeah. What's interesting to me. And I can't, I, I can't help but think about this, like to contrast June 7th is my birthday, and I turned 40 mm-hmm. on that day, June 7th, 2011. Uh-huh. And I went on a hot air balloon ride just down the road. <laughs> uh-huh. First time ever on a hot air balloon ride, and yep. I was scared to death going yeah. on this hot air balloon ride <laughs> <laughs> on this beautiful day in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but I clearly remember where I was on that day. Mm. To think just that, and I had no clue. I don't think we as Americans have any clue, uh, especially in this bubble, this mm. Christian bubble that we are in here in Williamson County, um, about 
what's really happening in the world and and um, how how incredibly dangerous it is. But you're you're you felt a peace in yep. the midst of uh, this this incredible you know civil war and civil unrest that was happening. How long did this continue um, in 2011 and 2012? Was it so we a year? I mean, the the bombing was happening on a daily basis, daily basis for three years straight. For three years. And then after that, it would still continue. It would just wasn't on a daily basis, but it was like a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there would be times it would be on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like ebbs and flows of conflict. And it would depend on the rainy and dry season. Ah. Um, also, there would be ebbs and flows of the the ground fighting mm-hmm. so sometimes a, for, a, a force from the government huge like we're talking 300 vehicles coming down you'd see them yeah fr- sometimes so <clears throat> i never explained about my media work yeah yeah but we would go to the front lines um and we would watch these battles mm-hmm. from the mountaintops yeah and and you would see tons of vehicles coming and then the rebels would would battle them from the mountains and it was just the fact that the government wasn't able to penetrate the area that we we're in the entire time of the conflict is just unbelievable. Yeah. So talk about your, your, what you decided to do. You're, you, you're basically, you have no job. Mm-hmm. You decide to stay there. Mm-hmm. What did you decide to do? So with I, your media work. So I immediate, as soon as I resigned from Samaritan's Purse, I realized that the reason, the only reason I heard about this conflict in Sudan was that two paragraph paragraph article about a 30 years of war. And so now I decided this is going to be a huge gap. Mm-hmm. So I created a media team. I brought in uh, a bunch of Sudanese friends of mine, Nuba friends that wanted, had an interest in journalism, and we started learning about it. We would bring in media, international media into Nuba, and we would show them around. And in turn, they would help train us myself and our, our local journalists on how to do good video and, and photos as well as interviews and how to get both, try to get all perspectives of the story, be very journalistic on how we report about the conflict. And so what was what your we web, you created a website? Yeah, it's called nubareports.org. Is it still out? Yeah, it's still up. It's still N-U-B-A up. Uh, reports. Reports.org, yep. Hmm. And so we would, uh, we would report on the conflict um, all different aspects. Like even at some points, we even talked about the Nuba culture. Uh, we talked about how churches were under attack. We, we Any bombing that we saw, we would report out. Um, and as a result, we got to bring in some pretty high level members of the media um, to the front lines and show them what was taking place. Mm. So we were getting the story out. Yeah. Uh, you've been featured on in the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, every major news outlet has covered you would you say cnn yeah. um i don't know who else would yeah you? We, we've had um you know nicholas christoph really came out the first time uh with new york times and wrote about uh the conflict and our work mm-hmm. and this important work that we're doing um and then after that a lot of media followed mm-hmm. um we had nbc we had uh, ann curry come out um we had at the time on fox news greta van Sustern. yeah um she had, came yeah she came wow um, I even got to show around George Clooney for two days in Nuba, uh, which was unbelievable. Um, but all of them saw. Is he as handsome as he really looks? Uh, not, I think, uh, I could possibly be a little bit better looking. 
No, I'm just kidding. Kind of lighten it up a little bit. No, he, he <laughs> all act- the women are wondering. Yeah, yeah, I know. How I know. did he smell? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, he was actually amazing. Yeah, he, he was funny, but he was also uh, extremely knowledgeable yeah. about the situation. He was the spokesperson. I remember Darfur. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember seeing the um, the um, uh, the evacuation of of all of the mm-hmm. the people. Who, um, refugees yep. that were leaving and and what this was causing in in Sudan. So yeah. Yeah. And so he 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 knew a lot about it. And so sh- bringing him there um it brought a lot of attention to what was taking place which was very helpful. It got some aid into the area. Um it's still very hard to access but people were starting to get some aid as a result of this. Mm-hmm. And the government didn't like you no, doing this. No. So we we got a big spotlight in a good way and a bad way. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of credibility for our organization that we were able to get information out that for the first time ever, never in 30 years was no one is able to get photos and videos out in a consistent way like we wow. were. Mm-hmm. And so the, on the other side of that, the government was very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first time ever, we're sending photos and videos to the UN Human Rights Council on their annual meeting mm-hmm. reviewing Sudan's human rights violations. Yeah, yeah. And we're sending that you know, they're flying and bombing on the same day, and we are literally sending photos and videos of that on the same day to the yeah, council. At the time. I mean, how did you do, how did you connect to the internet and get everything out? It, it wasn't easy, and it was extremely expensive. Yeah. Um, we had satellite internet, mm-hmm. very slow. So we would have to edit on the, I learned to edit video um, on the ground from these journalists that would come in and spend a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would edit reports and upload them overnight. And sometimes the internet wouldn't work and we had to upload the next. It was tough. But we would get it out. Um, We'd call on sat phone to get uh, information very fast Mm -hmm. out to to certain areas. Um, And yeah, it was extremely, it was hard. It was Mm -hmm. hard work. And Um, you'd go right to the front lines of wherever the war was happening. Oh, yeah. And it was mostly in the Nuba Mountains. Yeah, we were in. Uh, we were only in Nuba at that time, but the conflict was still taking place in Darfur in another region called Blue Nile. Yeah, um, we would get reports from those other two areas, but primarily in the Nuba Mountains. Got it. Um, but yes, I would go to the front lines. Our our local journalists would be all the time at the front lines. Uh, we'd go into the caves where hundreds of thousands of people were displaced. Uh, famine was becoming a major issue from 2011-2013. Uh, unfortunately, we saw many children die. Um, as a result of no food, um, as a result of being bombed, um, churches, schools, hospitals were all bombed. And we have pictures and photos and videos of all of it. Yeah, and that was all intentional. Yeah. Oh, it was all targeted to destroy the morale of the the people, so That's they right. would finally give in to the the government. And it was basically they're wanting to hold power. Yeah. It was it was really um, a war of attrition, mm. just w- wearing the people down slowly mm-hmm. um, by any means that they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the people are resilient. Mm-hmm. They stuck with it. The rebels held the front lines. Children, even though schools were not very well equipped, they would still walk hours to school in the middle of a war zone to get education. Wow. Uh, it was incredible. So that planted a seed for you, though. You just mentioned education, and I want to kind of go there. Mm-hmm. There's a reason you're here and you're not still in Nuba. Mm-hmm. So what what happened, and why did you? Why are you here in Nashville? So after years of reporting on the the front lines, um, one aspect of what we were doing was also sending a, all of that information, working with local 
uh, journalists in the country to send that information into other parts of the country where they didn't even know it was happening. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, um, the people rose up and they actually kicked out the the dictator Omar Bashir and his regime. Mm. And so now there's a new prime minister and things have completely changed. While there is still a power struggle, there hasn't been fighting in the Nuba Mountains or bombing in over two years. It's amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's an answer to prayer. I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been up at night praying for this mm. and watching, like I, I think of Jazeera's father. Mm. He, I've been in their house and he'll wake up at three in the morning, every morning, nonstop, every single day, wakes up at three in the morning, prays for everything that you could imagine. I've heard him pray, he, anything he hears on the radio. So, you know, I've heard him pray for the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and people there, for American soldiers, for uh, Omar Bashir, who had been bombing them, for the pilots of the plane who bombed the people of Nuba. I mean, this guy prays nonstop, and, and he's not alone. People mm. just pray for that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we're finally seeing God answering that prayer. Wow. Um, and so that's changed something. Uh, it's given people hope. And knowing my wife's struggle for education and that her story is not that different from many other uh, people in Nuba, mm. they see education as the way out of their oppression. Mm -hmm. Like you will have soldiers at like, you know, you'll have a, a first grade or elementary school graduation and, and a rebel soldier, a father of one of the kids will stand up and say, you know, I take this gun and go to the front lines so that my child will one day have a future. Yeah. And I didn't get education. I don't know how to read, but I'm fighting so that she does. Yeah. And that it's watching that, seeing that, and hearing that for years mm -hmm. really motivated us to come back here, start our organization to move mountains, and start really focusing on their desires, which is education for their children. Yeah. So it's what started in the mountains is now all about to move mountains. Yeah. And, and tell a little bit about the inspiration for the name and uh, what your what your intent was um, as you started to get a clearer vision of where you were going to go. Sure. So, um, you know, of course, the verses in the Bible that talk about um, if you have faith to move a mountain. Mustard seed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have love, then it's nothing. Mm. And so we kind of model our name after that, that we are working out of faith, but if it's not done through love, then it's meaningless. Yeah. And so we we want our work to be rooted in Christ, uh, love for him and love for the people that we that we serve mm -hmm. from a from a position of humility. Yeah. Um and it goes back to that sacrifice that we want to show people Christ's love through sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um so we've come back to the US, established to move mountains, find support for it. Um, and also get help on creating a brand new curriculum for the people of Nuba with the people of Nuba, mm -hmm. an education curriculum for kindergarten up to eighth grade mm. to really teach them not just English and math um, in very new and innovative ways, but to teach them things that are going to help their lives like critical thinking skills and the ability to take what they learn and practically use it in their communities to meet their needs of water and food um, and, and ways of building houses, anything that can support their way of living. Mm -hmm. But not only that, I think a lot of organizations do that, but also to teach them good governance mm. and also to teach them um, 
to build some social capital mm. back in their communities that they've lost through years and years of war. Yeah. Um, to take up uh, positions and leadership uh, in their country and contribute to the decisions being made in their country. Yeah. And so to we feel that see, seeing education as the way out of their oppression and and freedom from oppression just like we see our knowledge and as we learn more about Christ, it's working out our salvation in Christ and knowing him more and living in him more. And yeah. so I love the way that message goes together mm-hmm. and that's what we're moving forward with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't even say, just putting myself in, those sho- in your shoes and you know, the vision is, 50 years from now, when your work is done, your time here on earth is done, or however long mm-hmm. it is, to see potentially the government of Sudan, possibly that whole region in Africa, be positively affected and peace um, to really change generations and family trees and mm-hmm. uh, and and really make an impact on the world that, that you that started as a little seed when you were reading that two paragraphs, you know, to see where it is now. It's just powerful, man. I mean, it's, it's the kind of stuff that many people have done that they didn't, wouldn't even realize the impact because it's Mm. only God that can do that. You're just being obedient to what, he's calling you to do and the vision he's given you. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited and humbled to be a part of that. Like seeing the other things and the way God is moving things in Sudan, like having the, the new prime minister for the first time this has ever happened came to the war zone of the Nuba Mountains just a few weeks ago and there were 50,000 people waiting for him and just begging him, we want peace and we want freedom. And the way that uh, for the first time ever in the country, churches are are given deeds to land. Um, there was an apology by the Minister of Religious Affairs to the Christians of the country, how they've been persecuted. Like, I never imagined I would see these things in no, my lifetime. but you've been praying for them. Yes. And your father-in-law has been praying for them. Yeah, that's right. And all the people of Nuba. And, and being able to see that happen mm-hmm. and be a part of what could help reconstruct. And, and you know, there's prophecies in the Bible about Cush, and this is the land of Cush. Like the people of Nuba identify as the people of Cush, mm. and it talks about the people of Cush having a gift at the end times mm. to the Savior. And so, I just wonder. It just excites me. I wonder what is being formed now that is going to be equaling that prophecy later. Yeah, and even if it's a hundred years from now or tomorrow, like that's exciting to be watching right in this. The middle of it. Yeah. yeah, and I hope and pray that. Uh, our work can have some impact, a positive impact in people's lives and share Christ's love with them through that. Now, this education that you're, this education system that you're putting together, um, it's amazing to me. Like, I I didn't realize all that goes into putting together an education system from scratch. And that's basically what you're doing. You're here partnering with Vanderbilt University, Mm -hmm. um, professors there, and uh, you're putting a team together and you're putting a curriculum together. How long will this take? When you when do you what have you done to prepare mm-hmm. and lay the groundwork for this and when will this launch so to speak? So uh, to be honest, I I didn't know what was involved in mm-hmm. all of this and and that's why we approached Vanderbilt University. You know, they're, they're ranked number 5 in the country right now for education programs and they're one of the few that have international education. Mm-hmm. So I approached the professors at Vanderbilt and I said, this is the 
opportunity to use all of your great research that you know works and present it in a place that almost has a clean slate for an education system. Mm -hmm. You don't have to change a big machine. Instead, you get to use this stuff in a great way and also pull from the people of Nuba what is important to them mm -hmm. in their mm -hmm. education system. Right. And so there's a lot involved. Um, we have to go to Nuba a lot. We have to bring the Vanderbilt team to Nuba, the design team, to help us work this out and build it out. Because it's not a like putting an American system into Nuba. No, it's no, no. Building it with the the Nuba people. Yeah, it's going to look very unique mm -hmm. um, because it's their history, their economy, their uh, social structure that all plays into how this education system will work. Right. Um, like I said, we want them to be able to learn critical thinking skills in their environment. You know. Just a very simple example. We don't have hand pumps here to get our water. So people have to know how to fix hand pumps. Mm -hmm. They need to know, you know, every time you pump that that well, how many, you know, how many liters could you fill up with X number of pumps and, and really look at the water situation in that context. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily need to do that here. No. Um, but just taking very practically the education that they get and using it in their community. Mm -hmm. um, and so forming that, it takes a while. So... Our plan is to finish the curriculum, uh, kindergarten to eighth grade curriculum, in three years okay. from now. Okay. So and, that's 2023. Yep. And then we will start our first school sometime between those three years. We'll start building and we will- Building uh, a physical school. Yes. Building. Mm -hmm. Yes, which we think is very important. Um, we feel that students will come to a, a structure that is built in their community, one of the only structures, uh, with pride, and, that, and it's been shown that that improves their ability to learn. Got it. And so we will build that structure, we will implement our new curriculum, and at the same time, we're going to be working with the local leaders of the, of the Nuba community, of all Nuba, to implement this curriculum throughout the entire region. So there's about, a, what, seven, you think it's about 700,000 people? That you're going to be impacting? Yes. So the Nuba area right now, because of the conflict, some people have left. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, around 750,000 people is is what the long-term impacts will be. Got it. Yeah. And the, uh, the vision is to start off with what? How many schools? So for us, we'll run, um, our hope is to run three schools, mm -hmm. but we'll also use those schools to help some of the more public schools that the local governments are are operating. Got it. So Got it. bring in teachers from those schools, use our schools to do on-the-job training, and then put mm -hmm. them back out into their communities. Got it. And each school will roughly have about 500 people, kids yeah. in yep. it. Around 300, yeah, around four to 500 students are in each school. In New and Bell. what happens after eighth grade? So they can go to secondary school, um, which we're hoping in the long term to also build a secondary school curriculum. Right. Uh, we want to really focus on the primary at first. Yeah. Um, so some students go out, like they'll go to East Africa um, or other countries that go to what they call secondary school or high school. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's a few, there's like two secondary schools in Nuba. So that is something that's lacking, mm -hmm. but for us, we want to go one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. gotta go, go with what, what you can. Yep. So, um, so that you've, you've also laid the groundwork in mentoring and giving some younger mm -hmm. kids education in Uganda, right? Mm -hmm. To, to prepare them because they're going to be the first teachers. That's right. From what so, I understand. That's right. So we, we identified um, 26 of Nuba's top students uh, several years ago. This is before I even started to move mountains. Uh -huh. And we, we picked the top boy and girl in every, in every area. And we sent them to a really good high school 
in Uganda. And so a lot of them have just finished this year, mm -hmm. or, or sorry, uh, December of last year. And they are going to be the teachers in the schools that we create. Okay. So in the next three years, they are going to be helping the Vanderbilt professors build the curriculum. So they're going to help with the cultural context, mm -hmm. and they're going to be taught to be teachers. Um, so when they go into the schools, they'll be very well equipped with Got these it. new teaching methods and new curriculum. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, we want to, you know, Eric, we want to do this in a way that is very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. We don't just want to go in as cowboys and be like, <laughs> we're going to do education. We right. want to be very thoughtful. And this comes from my 15 years of experience working in humanitarian situations and seeing people who've done it right and people who've done it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're building on. Mm -hmm. God has allowed me to see that for a reason, and we're going to build on that. Well, I love the fact that you're going the route of education. You would you had mentioned that the previous school system in the Nuba Mountains, and really probably in Sudan, was was very much Sharia law. There mm -hmm. was a lot of Muslim requirements to the kids. Mm -hmm. Explain a little bit about that and what your vision is contrasting that. So many people in Nuba will explain to you that the main reason for the conflict is the Sudanese identity. And so what happened in Sudan is um, the, the ruling party tried to change the Sudanese identity to be 100% an Islamic identity. So in schools, that was a major thing that was implemented in schools years ago before the war started. And that was children had to change their names. So you would take their traditional names and, and they were forced to take Muslim Islamic names. Mm. They were forced to read the Quran. They were forced to recite the Quran. And through that, many uh, Nubans became Muslim, but nominal Muslims because it was a forced thing. And so for us, we feel that we are going to provide everyone education freely. Mm-hmm. And then after school or in any other time outside of the school, we will provide people with a biblical training as well, if they have an interest. We're not going to force anything on anyone. Right. And so we want people to freely come to Christ, just as, you know, I came freely to Christ. Right. And many people... Me, me too. ...came freely to Christ. And so that's how we want to present... Uh, the gospel. ...Christ to people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and you told me that a lot of them are incredibly hungry for an understanding of who Christ is. Yeah, for years, um, many Muslim communities were told Christians are bad and evil, and I personally have been invited to many villages without any, you know, me asking. I've been invited um, just openly from communities and said, hey, can you come and tell us uh, who is Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. um, they want to know because they said all we see from Christians is, is good uh, and is loving, and we want to know more about it. Mm -hmm. And so the Muslims and the Christians in Nuba have been uh, attacked, bombed, killed just as much as Christians and Muslims are So similar. they have a bond. Uh, bond. Yeah. It, so it's created this situation where they respect one another a they lot. They do, yeah. So you will have Muslims and Christians, they will talk about their beliefs. It's not like they won't say, you know, we all believe the same thing. They will say, yeah, we believe different things, but they have a, a respect for one another. They have a human love and respect for exactly. one another. Exactly. And mm -hmm. it's a very, and for that reason, it's a very unique part of the world. And mm -hmm. it, it was conflict that kind of brought that about. But it also brought about a lot of curiosity. Mm. Um, you have the government saying, you know, we are attacking, you know, all through the years of war, we're attacking the South. And they declared a jihad. Mm -hmm. It's written down. 
In the in eighty nine, they declared a uh, sorry. In eighty two, they declared a jihad against the people of Nuba and South Sudan. Hmm. And so the people of Nuba were like, "What? What do you mean? Like seventy percent of them are Muslims." So they're like, "What do you mean you declared a holy war on us?" Mm-hmm. So it created the situation where people question what is truth. Yeah, and and let's sure. just have let's just have a dialogue about for it for generations let's, now. Let's talk about what truth is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an amazing opportunity, and through that. We want to provide people with education no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're going to say, hey, can we talk about this? Yeah, yeah, and give them an opportunity to, yeah. to do that yeah. in, a, in a free free will that's right. type of environment. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. I think that's uh, it's so good what you're doing. I mean, I've, I've heard your story now. We've, we've had a couple of meetings together, mm-hmm. a few, mm-hmm. three meetings together. And also that time we had... Um, and then I think our, hopefully our families can get together and, yeah, definitely. um, your daughter can quiz me again and, <laughs> uh, you know, confront me, uh, as a liar, uh, which is hilarious. <laughs> the first time I met your daughter and she talked to me, her first words to me were, I know you lied to me back then. That's the first words that your daughter, your yeah, that sounds like four-year-old daughter said to yeah, me. She's tough. Super smart girl. She was perceptive. Something... Yeah. I did. Yeah, was not good. I was like, okay, I got to win this g- girl back. Yeah, and I she, think I did, but it was a close one. Yeah, she's tough. I have to deal with that on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, but you have a great family. Um, Jazira is, uh, like I, I've said already, uh, has a, an amazingly strong story and mm. um, courageous story as well. We've joked about the fact that you guys would write a book yep. together. One <laughs> yep. chapter would be you, one chapter would be her. But I think you've resigned to the fact that maybe her, it's just her like... side is going to be way more interesting. <laughs> we were talking about like you know she's going to be like, and then I was you know twelve years old and bombs were falling. I was running away from the enemy. Then I'll like jump to my chapter and I'll be like, yeah, I was throwing water balloons at my friends and yeah, in Florida. Just, in Florida. So that part won't be interesting, but the contrast is cool. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is, man. Yeah. But um good for you for uh not just good for you. I'm grateful that you followed the call. Uh you followed the uh the the voice of God. You couldn't get it out of your head. Mm. Um, and out of your heart, and uh, you were obedient. And I think that's the lesson, the summer, if I could summarize some of my thoughts, um, hearing your story, it's one of them is you were obedient. You know, um, I think God is looking for, he's not looking for the one, the people who, you know, have the greatest potential, mm-hmm. or in the world's eyes, he's looking for those that have a soft heart towards him, mm-hmm. and an obedient heart, and, and are willing Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope, um, and I, and I do feel I, I, have got to say, like, there are times when I'm confront my personally, like when I'm confronted with a hard decision, whether to follow Christ or not. I'm very good at saying yes, I'm going to follow Christ, but then having maintaining that in my heart of no fear, I, I'm, I'm following. I constantly need to be reminded, and that's my weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. God is always right there with me, making sure like, hey man, like just like those bombs fell, like I made the strong decision, but the minute there was a, a scare, sure, I got worried. Sure. Um, well, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Because it's not, I'm not painting you as Superman. Yeah. <laughs> he's not looking for Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, he's, he has seen you to be faithful. 
Um, and uh, as imperfectly as that is, mm. and you know, I think we all know. We sometimes I think we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Like, yeah. You know, I we're we're. We don't all believe, and you're in the media business. You mm-hmm. were in the media business, so you, you can't always believe your own press, right? Right? You're not this amazing uh, person. You know yourself well enough to mm-hmm. know your flaws and your uh, whatever else. But I, I think God uses yeah. us. I think we we diminish ourselves too much, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess Moses and David and all these guys did it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think they're pretty. Yeah, they're very imperfect people. Yeah, very imperfect people. Um, I mean, if God says that David had, you know, was a man after his own heart and he had someone killed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to name a few things, yeah. you know, that's not, I don't know, it uh, gives us all hope. Yep, that's true. You know, that's um, true. It's, a, it's a beautiful picture and story of, of redemption and Amen. Uh, what God sees. Mm. So anyway, uh, I just pray blessings over twomovemountains.org. Yep. That's, that's the website. That's right. Uh, you should go there. It's a great website. Tells a little bit more of the story. Um, and uh, how can people get involved in your story? Are you doing anything to engage with um, with us here in the uh, first world? Yeah, we um, we always need. Uh, of course, we need support. Right? We need people to pray for us. We need support financially. This this is. Not an easy task, yeah. and we need we want to get good people to do this work. Uh-huh. Um, so that's one big thing that we need help with. Uh, another thing is, if people are interested in if they have like an education background or and and they have expertise in curriculum development, we're always looking for people to get involved and partner with. Mm. So if you have something like that, go to our website. There's a place that you can send an email there or um, send a question, but mm-hmm. pe- feel free to do that. Okay. Um, and another easy thing is uh, something very easy, but surprisingly has a great impact is follow us on social media. And share our stuff. I can't tell you how many times some good partnerships and connections have taken place when someone else shares it and someone Mm. sees it and is like, hey, that's really interesting. I have this kind of expertise or I would like to donate to that. Um, It's happened so much. Mm. So you don't know how much social media can really uh, support our work. Yeah, so to move mountains at to move MTNS is the... Instagram. Yep. What are your other socials? Same thing with uh, Facebook um, and same thing with Twitter. Okay. Yep. So it's those three are yep. your, your main ways that yep. you're... At to move MTNS. MTNS. Yep. Great. Uh, well, Ryan, um, thanks for taking time to share this story with us. And I'm excited to that you're here in Nashville for at least a couple more years yep. until you get through... Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Congrats on all how well you guys are doing there. Thank you. Uh, and um, we'll we'll have to get our families together soon, and maybe your daughter will like me a little bit better next time. <laughs> all right? Yeah, thank you, Eric. I appreciate being you here. You bet. Ryan Boyette, twomovemountains.org. Go check it out. Follow them on social media. Share what they're doing. Get the word out and pray for pray for them. Uh, and um, I know you're going to be doing some, some great things, and you'll be planting seeds into probably a generation's worth of, of fruit. So I'm excited for what you're doing. Amen. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Courage Cast. I want to invite you in to taking the next step in your journey towards living your most courageous life. You can do that very simply by visiting courageouscommunity.com forward slash challenge. 
That's courageouscommunity.com forward slash challenge.